It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Roaring. Each and every week we talk about sports topics of local interest, maybe a national topic or two. Somewhere along the way we'll have gambling segment and the last segment of the show each and every week where you can ask me a question on any topic. Go to Twitter. Just get the hashtag AskSkinnyAnything. Rick finds those questions. He asks them of me, and I try to give whatever answers they may be. They do not have to be sports-related. It's on any topic you want to choose, and I will try to give my best answer. As always, this podcast is presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending. Rick, how are we doing today? I'm doing great. I'll tell you what. We, we've had great weather over the last week or so here in Cincinnati, but these mornings where it's like yes. 63, 64 degrees with a little chill in the air, Makes it hard not to get excited for some college football, doesn't it? I'm with you. I actually went out yesterday morning, or what day was it? Tuesday morning, I think, because I had a, technically an off day. I had a couple of things I had to do work-wise, but the Bengals did not practice and did some of my work sitting outside in the morning. It was so daggone nice. It is. It's nice. But that that feeling just makes me like think of making the trek across the bridge, putting <laughs> in a little parlay for the morning, and uh, then sitting in front of a TV all day. There you go. Nothing wrong with that. No, there isn't. All right, let's get into it. And Skinny, for the first time in weeks, it feels like we've got Reds kicking off the show. Uh, First baseman Joey Votto said he will undergo season-ending surgery for rotator cuff tear on Friday. He made the announcement to media following Wednesday's victory over the Phillies at Great American Ballpark, a game in which he did not play. Votto is under contract for another season at $25 million with a club option in 2024 for $20 million. Where do you think we're at with Joey Votto's career at this point, Skinny? Do you think we'll see him be a productive player at any point again? I don't because I, I think you saw the production really start to wane this year. And maybe the rotator cuff had something to do with it. Um, but I also think Father Time had a little something to do with it as well. So um, I don't, you know, he's talked about in the past he wasn't going to play just for the money. But he also said yesterday that he that he wants to try to come back and play. And maybe that's him just giving himself a target to push himself in rehab, to say, I'm going to rehab this, try to come back. And I, I, I hope he makes the prudent decision and maybe even the fair decision that if he, if he comes back from this and he, he goes to spring training or, or you know, whatever training, it may, maybe it lingers into April, whatever, however long the process. Sounds like he'd be back in the window of spring training and he just doesn't have it. That at that point, in all fairness, he retires. Um, because at that point, to me, he would be just doing it for the money. But I understand what he said yesterday. I think, you know, for any human being, when you're coming back from something, I've never had to come back from major surgery. You know, I've had a nick and a, and a cut and a, and, a, and a stitch and this and that there. But I, I think for anybody coming back from a major surgery, you got to have some kind of goal or milestone. And for an athlete, his milestone is trying to work his way back. I think that's where we're at with it. So he turns 39 on September 10th of this year, meaning he'll be 40 by the end of next baseball season. Did you listen to his interaction with the media after the game? About two questions worth, but no, I was, I was swamped, but I I did hear a couple of questions. Yes. There was kind of this interesting point where I don't know who it was, but they asked him whether it would be, I think a more grueling task to recover yeah to to, to do rehab at his age and he really pushed back against that and was like i don't understand what would make it more grueling at my age and basically said you know an injury is never fun to have but i'm gonna attack this i i've i've done it before i know how to do it he really didn't sound like a guy who thought this was the end that's for sure no that's my point I, i think for 
I think for him, he's trying to set himself up to push himself. I, I don't think anybody wants to go out this way. I wouldn't, I mean, as much as I'm disappointed in Joey Votto's performance and what they're paying for that performance these days, I wouldn't want to see him go out this way either, of literally with a whimper of, uh, you know, two for his last 32 or whatever it was and a torn rotator cuff, and then that's his career. Um, and it still may be his career. That may be it. But for him, I think I, – I don't understand his pushback on the age. It is, it's, I'm sorry, sir. It's a real thing. It just is a real thing. Um, but I, I think he has to set a goal for himself to push himself to come back, and, and I, I, I fully understand that part of it because I do think he probably want he doesn't want to end it this way, and I don't blame him. Yeah, uh, b- by the way, him – him acting like it was a crazy concept to ask that question. It's like, well, I mean, first of all, no one's body bounces back as well the older they get. Correct. So like acting like recovering from a major surgery at 39 is the same as recovering from a major surgery when you are 28 is a real thing. I mean, that's not a a silly question at all. And I mean, you just add in the fact that you've stacked all this money now, you've played out a long career, you're clearly on the backside, at some point, there's just a "is it worth it" factor that comes into play too. So, well, I, I think for him, I, yeah, I think he thinks it is worth it because I, I don't think he wants to go that way. But I, again, I go in the interest of fairness. If he comes back, pushes himself, gets some at bats in spring training, and then comes and goes, I can't do this anymore. I would hope he doesn't just cash checks. He said he doesn't want to cash checks. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I get all that too. But to act like the question was silly, no, and you can't you. even comprehend what the question was about. I thought that was very strange of him to do. He hit 205 this year over 91 games, which is by far the worst of his career. And horrible. That's horrible for anybody. Yeah. And it's the first time he's had a negative war. If you look at basically any of his offensive statistics, it's the worst of his career. But I think it's easy to forget that we are just one year removed from him hitting 36 home runs with 99 RBI. So, you know, I mean, you do kind of wonder well, did this rotator cuff play a major role in how bad he was this year? And is there the potential for him to to bounce back and hit up, you know, 25 homers next year or something like that? Yeah, but I could also argue that last year was kind of an outlier from the two previous seasons to that. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah, I mean, uh, it felt like he was on the downside before last year. And it was like, oh, does he even have much time left, period? And then he had a great season last year. He he played pretty well. Yeah, no, you're you're right. But I... I think it's a big ask, and, and it's a big ask at his age. And I'm sorry that you know he took the question the wrong way because I I, I heard that ex- that's the exchange I heard, and I didn't think it was it was it was unfair or asked in an improper way whatsoever. Yeah, there were uh, nine players, at least 39 years or older this year in Major League Baseball. Five that were 40 or older, just to give you some of the numbers there. I think there's a best case scenario, Skinny, and this is for for Joey more so than maybe a Reds fan. Because I think most people would like to see him retire a Red. That's for certain. He's been a Red his entire career. Yes. But I think it would be cool to see him come back, have a great first half of the year next year, trade him before the deadline, let him go win a World Series somewhere or compete in the playoffs somewhere, and then his contract would be up. Maybe the Reds could re-sign him in the offseason as a free agent and let him retire as a Red. I got no problem with that that scenario. I mean, like, I think that would be the best case scenario for him and his career personally. Right yeah, now. and and you know, at that point, if he's having a good first half, you might get a little something back in return. I mean, you're you're you know, part of it is a team's taking on about twelve million dollars worth of salary for well, not even that much, two months of twenty five mil or whatever it is. So, uh, what is that? Ten roughly ten mil that they're taking on. That's a pretty good chunk for for two months of a player. But yeah, if he's if he's raking and can go somewhere and you know maybe DH. Um, uh, that 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 may be a great a perfect scenario. I just I don't see it ending that way. I just 
I, I'd hate for it just to end the way it has, though. For that, that the last thing we remember is the guy goes and has rotator cuff surgery. We never see him again. Yeah. The other thing that kind of stakes about this is the fact that they're with all these young prospects and this this pipeline that you're trying to build and talk about playing for the future. There's no one to plug into this position right now that's meaningful at all. Like it's not right. like we're going to get a last month plus of watching some young talent see if they can cut it at this level. It's it's going to be a meaningless however many games left at first base for the Reds. Yeah, for the Mike Mustakas of the world. Right. Who whoever fills in at that spot at this point is going to be some journeyman, someone who's not going to be with the team much longer more than likely. Agreed. All right, let's switch gears back to the Bengals. And Skinny, speaking of back, Joe Burrow is back. The Bengals quarterback practiced for the first time on Sunday and even participated in 11-on-11s with the first team on offense Wednesday. You guys also got to talk to him for the first time during training camp on Wednesday where he confirmed his appendix ruptured in July, leading to a surgery. And he also stated that he doesn't plan to play in the preseason, which we pretty much already knew. So I got a few questions about this. First, how did he look on the field? What were your takeaways after seeing him play? I think he looked great on Sunday in that first practice, and he's he's not uh, he's not looked any different to me. I talked to Brian Callahan after practice a little bit, and that's kind of what he said. He said if I didn't know the guy had surgery, because I asked, I said, you know, Joe said he doesn't feel like he's got velocity, the the same velocity on the ball right now, and understandably so. And he said. Honestly, man, he goes, he goes, if I didn't know that, I know he's a perfectionist. I, I, I couldn't tell you that. I really, that really doesn't look that way to me. I mean, he dropped two or three dimes on Sunday. Uh, yesterday, um, I don't do this very often in practice, but it was worth charting what he did in 11 on 11s for the first time. And, and this is a combination of 11 and 11 on seven on sevens. He went 11 of 16. He threw a long touchdown pass to Tyler Boyd against the Blitz. Um, uh, hit Tyler Boyd on on that one against Mike Hilton. Hit a deep pass down the left sideline to Jamar Chase that he dropped in the bucket. Um, he looked pretty sharp to me. He had to move around a little bit a, a couple of times. Made a made a really where he had to torque his body. Rick, um, I don't even know if I put this one in the story. I think I did, but he had to torque his body. The rush came and he he you know he can't get hit, but it's all around him. And I don't imagine coming off an appendectomy. That's probably a good test to try to torque your body and do that. So I. I, I think he looks fine, and, and the headline on one of my stories I did from yesterday and talking to Callahan was his quote saying, I think he's going to be the same old Joe Burrow come September, and I, and I think there's I think that's absolutely right. There was a lot of talk about his weight, which I, I personally enjoyed. It's like, I, how great would that be once in your life to just be like, oh, yeah, I got to put on 15 or 20 pounds here in the next couple of weeks, which is what he said. But, I, I mean, one, it sounds like a lot of weight that he wants to gain back. It's not just like, oh, yeah. Hey, I lost five pounds uh, of muscle over these last couple of weeks when I couldn't work out. It sounds like he uh, he lost a lot of weight. Uh, but second of all, that just sounds phenomenal that he's just stuffing his face nonstop and is forced to gain all this weight in a short period of time. Uh, how noticeable was that in terms of the the lost weight? Yeah, no, I, it, it's been noticeable since we saw him come out there on the on the golf cart the one day. You could tell, and, and the first time I saw him walking through the locker room the, the one day as well, when the first time we kind of saw him, um, it, it was completely noticeable to me. They list him at 215 on the roster, and I'm going to guess he's probably under 200. Um, uh, he he obviously is a healthy eater. He's got a chef and all those things. And, and um, you know, I, I know Brian Callian said yesterday in, in every meeting he's in with him, he's he's got a bowl of something that he's eating. So I don't think he's going to be stuffing his face with cheeseburgers and milkshakes and fries. Um, but he did say he, he feels like he gets to go back and eat the way he did in college, which is stuffing his face constantly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it just sounds great. Uh, how confident are you that he'll be fully good to go for the season opener? 100%. I, just watching him, 100%. I mean, he's... 
He admitted he's got to lift a little bit more. He's got to get his, some of his strength back, but he's got three weeks to do that. Um, I'll be really interested to see how he performs in those, those practices with the Rams next week because those are going to be a lot of ones v ones, live reps. Quarterback can't get hit, so it's a controlled environment. That's a good thing, but uh, I think that's when you can tell is he, is he really back or not. And I, I honestly think he is. Well, the Bengals played the Cardinals in the preseason opener last Friday. They play their second preseason game against the New York Giants on Sunday at 7 p.m. in a game that can be seen on Local 12. We saw a lot of things on Friday that we can use in previewing this game coming up on Sunday. So we'll kind of do what we did last week, Skinny, and go over some topics here. The the first thing that I think we have to hit on is the battle at left guard. Jackson Carmen and Cordell Volson, and now apparently Trey Hill is in the mix as well. It, it it seems as simple to anyone who watched last week that, hey, Jackson Carmen did not look good. Cordell Volson did look good. Uh, Jackson Carmen was playing against some guys that will see NFL snaps. Cordell Volson was pretty much not. So you got to factor that in. What are you looking for in that battle on Sunday? Is it that simple or are fans kind of missing something here? I don't think missing anything at all. Um, and listen, I'm not here to anoint Volson either because you mentioned it. He wasn't playing against high caliber, the caliber of player that, that Carmen was playing against. Now, the Cardinals didn't play their starters either. So Carmen was basically playing a rung down and then Volson was playing against a rung down from that. Um, the Giants played their starters a bunch in their preseason opener. Their hope, I think the Bengals are hoping they play them again in this game. I think you'll see Cordell Volson get first team reps. I, I know um, they kind of rotated in practice yesterday. Jackson basically was the third team guard the day before uh, with Trey Hill running second team. Yesterday, Hill ran second team, and those two, uh, Volson and Carmen, kind of alternated at guard, although Volson probably got two to one the reps that Carmen did. Um, you know, I think now Carmen has to really fight for the position. I think they 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 kind of handed it to him on a platter, and his first time under the lights, the bright lights, he mucked it up, and now he's got to fight his way back. It looked like he got kicked out of a drill yesterday for a brief period of time. I don't know what for, but Frank Pollock wasn't happy with something that he did or was doing. Um, so I think he's back to fighting an uphill battle, and he's brought it on himself. I mean, this guy, it it feels like it's headed for the worst. Right now, I mean, I yes. mean, maybe that's being a little bit dramatic, but after last year, I, you try to give him the benefit of the doubt, and he comes in to start this year. Like you said, it, it felt like they were sort of giving him that that opportunity to be the starter, and he has not taken it and run with it at all. I, I said this to someone that I, I was talking to after watching that preseason game, and he just constantly looks like, well, what the hell just happened? as guys are running past him or he's uh, in the wrong spot. He just kind of has a constant, I don't know what I'm doing out here. Look about him. Yeah, there was one twist um, stunt that that he looked like he completely went the wrong way on, and it turned out him and the tackle were blocking the same guy. That, that can't happen. Um, now, I will also say in fairness to Jackson Carmen, it wasn't like the rest of those guys that were playing around him played well, so that magnifies the situation a bit too. It, it does, and you got to factor that in because, again, they were playing against – not starters, but guys who will play in NFL right. games this year. And right. the guys around him stink. I mean, the yeah. Bengals have no depth on this offensive line. So I do understand that. I, it That impacts him and makes him look worse. But look, man, they gave him extra time. They tried to they tried to give him some more rope or maybe, the, heck, they just wanted to say, hey, stay out there and figure this out. Um, it didn't seem like things got much better for him as the game went on. Yeah. So... Agreed. And then, and then, then, you know, he doesn't practice the very first practice after that. Um, we kind of lumped this question together. 
because uh, Sam Hubbard has also kind of been lingering. There's something going on there that that uh, he's he's he keeps getting he keeps dressing for practice, but then he doesn't participate and goes and works out on the side. So he was kind of lumped in together. Although I thought it was an interesting quote for Zach Taylor when when he was asked about Jackson and Sam and, and that, and he said, "Well, some players just need a little more time." And I, I took that to mean that it was almost like, yeah, Jackson's not really ready to do this yet. We're going to give him the day off. And then the very next practice was um, Volson at left guard, Hill as the backup, and Jackson got one rep. That was it, one rep in in eleven on elevens. Um, and that's when after practice we talked to Frank Pollock uh, for the first time since the game on Friday, and and that's when he threw Trey Hill's name in the mix, kind of out of the blue. So uh, it, it it certainly got a little bit weird now at that position. Yeah, which is is a little bit concerning, but we kind of knew going into to the year that this was a possibility. The one thing I will say, you mentioned how Carmen screwed up one of those stunts from the defensive line. When you talk about Cordell Volson, the thing you really want to see is that he can handle the stuff that's going to be thrown at him. Because I think physically he's going to be okay, but he came from a small college. Is he going to be ready for the NFL speed and the different things he's going to see? And one of the big shining moments for him was in pass protection when he picked up a stunt really well late later in that game. So uh, yeah. again, you factor in the level of competition, but that was a good sign that you know he's not getting caught completely off guard like Carmen did in the first half. Yeah, the, the, the touchdown for Burrow to Boyd was on the last play of 11 yesterday. It was about a 70-yard post pattern. The, the defense showed blitz. They, they really didn't disguise it. They showed it, and um, and they came with it. And the pocket held up really well, and Cordell Volson was part of that pocket. And and so, you know, again, that's just a rep and a practice, but he did that. Uh, my Our friend James Rapine, um, who shoots a lot of video at practice, uh, showed me a, a, a run block. Joe Mixon had a really good run up the middle. It's always hard to tell how many yards, right, because they don't tackle. But it, he, he ran free for at least the <laughs> first 10 yards. And he said, look at this shot. And he kind of froze it for me. And you can see Volson took DJ Reader out of the hole. I mean, that's a lot of man to take out of the hole. So, again, these are some isolated plays. But his isolated plays seem to be a lot cleaner and better than Jackson Carmen's at this point. Uh, the starters aren't going to play. But I'm excited to watch Zach Carter and Jeff Gunter yep. on the defensive line. How excited should I be? Are these guys that have a chance to make an impact this year? I think so. I mean, they were hoping that, that Zach Carter could fill the BJ role, role, role from a year ago where BJ now is the starter in place of Larry Ogunjobi. And BJ was a great rotational backup three technique guy last year. They're hoping Zach Carter's that guy. And he seems to show all indications he is going to be that guy. Jeff Gunter, I was really interested in just because he's a seventh round pick and you, you never know. Um, he's a guy that's got a little ass in him in, in camp. He's, he's, he's been involved in a couple of fights. He's, he's got a little chippiness to him. And then they, he showed that motor on Friday. And, um, you know, I, I did my latest 53 player roster projection on Tuesday, Rick, and, and, um, didn't have a whole lot of changes from training camp, but, one easy one for me was taking Tyler Shelvin off and putting Jeff Gunter on because Jeff Gunter impressed and Tyler Shelvin played one snap. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing more of those guys and see if they, they can do it from game to game, not just a game or a series or a quarter. Let's see what you can do here the next game and then the next game, and can you provide something in the regular season? I think for Jeff Gunter, he's on path to make the 53. He'll probably be one of those inactives every week barring injury, um, but he certainly played his way into the mix of the 53 for sure. I love guys that bat down passes at the line of scrimmage. I think that's like an underrated skill that certain guys do well or certain teams do well. And I think Zach Carter got two yep. deflections there at the yeah. And I mean, he, he was looking for him. You know, he's like if he wasn't getting off his block, he was trying to time it up and use that length to knock down a ball. I I think that's a kind of a hidden talent that 
not a lot of guys have. So no, uh, I agree. I agree. I, I like and, 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 and he's played great. So yeah, no, those those two guys were were very impressive. Are we going to see more of Joseph Osai at any point during the preseason? Do you think? Yes, that's a great question, and it's it, um, it was funny because when I talked to Lou Anarumo um, uh, ten days or so ago, uh, he said he was looking forward to seeing Joseph play a lot in the preseason, and then Zach kind of tamped that down before the game. Um, said he's going to play a few snaps, and that's exactly what he did was play a few snaps. Uh, I think they just want to see how maybe that knee reacted for how he reacted maybe to contact for, for a bit and then say, okay, that's fine. You passed the first test. I, I think you will see much more of him in these these next couple of, of games. He only played a handful of snaps, I think it was, but did I see them slide him down to one of the tackle spots? Yeah, maybe they did, Rick. I didn't notice if they, if they slid him down to tackle, but it wouldn't shock me because they, they just have so many good moving parts that they can bounce around in there to, to add to the pass rush. I think the pass rush is going to be spectacular. Dax Hill was fun to watch, too. Do you think he's giving Jesse Bates something to think about in terms of his negotiations with the team? I, I don't think that. I, I agree with your assessment, though. I thought he was, was – I mean, he gave up a touchdown, and it was a bootleg, and he was kind of the cleanup guy, and it wasn't really his fault, and then had the two pass breakups. No, um, I, I think Jesse's making the, de- the decision independent of anything. I, I really do. Fair enough. Uh, the other thing that I'm excited to see that I think is just becoming a regular thing every time the Bengals take the field is the Evan McPherson show. I mean, that was just <laughs> – absurd for a preseason game that I'm this excited to watch a kicker. But when he's hitting 56 and 58 yarders within a couple of minutes of each other, it's hard not to be excited. And the best part about it was it didn't matter who was snapping or holding for him. Did that's it? right. No, that's right. And and it's the, the second of the ones he hit, I think the 56 yarder that he hit um, where my seat is in the press box is about, I'd say the 25 ish yard line at the end zone. He was kicking towards I swear that thing was still going up as it passed me. And it was one of those ones where you can tell on kicks like that if the guy's got the distance. As soon as he hit it, it wasn't a matter of the distance. And, and we're at an angle where you, you kind of wait, wait for the crowd to react to know if it's good or not because you can't completely see it. But I know this. That thing hit literally halfway up on the net. And I'm 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 honest. He could have hit from 70 to 75 with that kick. I swear he could have. I would agree. I mean, looking at the view we had on TV, it felt that way too. I mean, he is just an absolute joke with this stuff. I mean, seeing him line up on the logo is just kind of a bizarre thing to begin with. We we haven't seen it in the past at Paul Brown Stadium. And for him to just see, I mean, it seems almost automatic. Well, Rick, here's the thing too. And, and, and Zach Taylor's a different coach than Marvin Lewis. Marvin was a defensive guy. And so he would... He would punt a lot of times, but listen, if, if this was Randy Bullock, um, Zach Taylor would have punted those two times, oh, sure. which is fine. But but what ends up happening is you just stole six points. You stole six points. Now you can argue that maybe punting them down in there and trading field position gets you, um, you know, better field position to go score seven. But I don't look at it that way. I look at it, you just stole six points. Yeah, I mean, when you only need to get to the forty yard line as an offense, <laughs> it becomes a whole different ball game. You know. Well, I've talked about this in in covering Bengals-Baltimore Ravens games. I've often thought in terms of when the Ravens have the ball, as soon as they cross midfield, I'm thinking, and I've talked to Paul Gunther, the former defensive coordinator, about this. you got to start to change your thought process of getting a negative play as opposed to just getting a stop because Justin Tucker's going to hammer a 57-yard field goal on you. And I do think that's a real thing that suddenly you're like, all right, we just can't stop them here on third and 11. We need a negative play. And then you maybe gamble where you shouldn't have gambled, and that's an advantage of the offense perhaps. Yeah, and I mean, even if that doesn't happen, just the simple fact of how many NFL games come down to one score. I mean, that you look at all the spreads across the league, they're all pretty much between like three and eight points 
before the games. There's a reason for that because you have a lot of close games. If you're able to steal a field goal or two every game because of this guy, which they did a whole lot of at the end of last year, it is a major factor and a major weapon. It's yeah, I mean, it's, no, it, it, it's real. And it's funny. The more he does this from distance, the more confidence he gets. You can just see it. I mean, honestly, I think that 65-yarder, while it was kind of gimmicky on that get-back-together day, I think that also gave him the confidence of, put me out there anywhere, dude. I'm going to drill it. And the uh, other day was, it was like he just tried out there, and it was this nonchalant is making a 38-yard field goal. It feels that way. And honestly, going back to last year, there were so many long, you know, 48-plus-yard field goals that he hit that it's just like, I mean, his percentage on those, the efficiency is just off the charts. I, I don't know that we've really seen anything like that. Yeah, and remember, he he, he was 28 of 33, I believe, and, miss, and two of his misses were from, from, one was from 49, one was from 57. You remember those were in that kind of windy Green Bay game. And, you know, the yeah. one Green Bay game, he still swears it went over top of the crossbar, which it might have. Or over the yeah, it was right close. Now. It was close. Yeah. I know that. Uh, Chris Evans, he's he's a guy who gets a loud response on social media whenever he does something. Do you think the coaches feel something similar about him to fans, or is this one where maybe we don't quite get it and we're not seeing everything with him? It's funny you asked that, Rick. You didn't even know this. I'm actually writing a story on that topic today that'll be up on local12.com at some point uh, on Thursday. Um, and I talked to Brian Callahan, and I said, kind of phrased the question, I said, this is going to be a question I'm sure you're going to roll your eyes at, but I'm going to ask it. Is there a way for you guys, have you talked about ways to get Chris Evans more touches? And I said, I realize he's third in the pecking order. And he gave me the answer of, yes, Chris has done a lot of good things. We think a lot of Chris, um, you know, Joe Mixon is obviously going to get the bulk of those. And, you know, he unsolicited said, we love Samaje. He does a lot of great things for us. And I think for Chris, it's just a matter of, unfortunately for him, at this point of his career, he's number three in the order. But he certainly... Um, and one of the things that, that Brian talked about is they 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 tried to give him a couple of uh, running opportunities in short yardage when they did a short yardage drill um, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, one of their early padded practices, uh, he and Travion Williams were the two short yardage backs. They didn't use Mixon or Pirine, and Chris showed out really well. And and I I asked him, I said, "Do you remember those?" He goes, "Yeah." He goes, "He was great." I, I remember that. And he said, "We're trying to get him more more running attempts in the preseason because he really didn't run it a lot at Michigan. We want to see what kind of runner he is. And he's flashed that. And, you know, the stats the other night don't show it because he had a five-yard touchdown wiped out by a Thaddeus Moss hold and a 65-yard run wiped out by a Thaddeus Moss hold. But I do think the coaches love him. Uh, I, this is going to sound very coach-speaky, but, you know, sometimes it's, it is a numbers game. And right now he's number three in the pecking order, and you're going to get the gu- carries and attempts to, to your main guy. And, P. Ryan gets some scraps. I think you'll see a little more of Chris Evans this year on a consistent basis, but it probably won't be as much as fans would like. It just feels like he has that pop to him, that wiggle. When he has the ball in his hands, you just feel like something's about to happen, and he makes guys miss. He's he's just different in the way that he moves. It's it's fun to watch, but, I mean, I, I got the sense that the, the coaches must not feel quite the same. Oh, no, I think yet. they do. No, no, Rick. They do, and talking to Brian Callahan, I just think, again, it's a matter of sometimes... Well, I mean, just, no offense, but, like, there's no comparison between him and Samaj P. Ryan in terms well, of the, playmaking. Well, no, that's that's fair, but the one thing Samaj P. Ryan is, he's a bigger back, and they just they don't have a back that size and style that Samaj P. Ryan is. And honestly, if you look at his numbers last year, dude had a pretty nice year as a backup, and they love his special teams ability. Chris isn't quite there with that stuff yet. I don't think Chris is quite there with blitz pickup yet, and, and those are some underrated things I don't think fans... Count on or see. That's what um, I assumed it was mostly was they didn't trust him as a blocker yet. 
and yeah. and it limited his ability to how many downs you can play him on and how many packages you can put him in and stuff like that, which I fully understand that. But when you have a guy that's capable of making the big play, which it certainly looks like he might have some of that ability, I'd like to see you find ways to force feed him a little bit. Yeah, um, you know, Paul Danner Jr. and I from The Athletic, we talked about this a few days ago. You know, if Chris puts together another couple of good preseason games here, um, would they entertain the idea of maybe trading P. Ryan and moving Chris Evans to the number two spot and Travion Williams is a capable number three? I, I don't think that's Samaja Piran really that has that matter. much value. No, it's not a matter of a ton of value back, but you know, hell, anything back is better than nothing. I mean, you're not going to cut the guy. So, but if, if you if you feel confident in Chris Evans, then you know maybe you, you move on for something of value. Yeah, I, 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 don't, just don't I don't know. If... I don't think it happens. Don't get me wrong. I don't think that happens at all. Um, I just think you have a very capable number three back. That, that listen in this league, no offense. Joe Mixon's been hurt before. Um, you know, he goes down. Chris Evans might be your choice as the number one back over Pirine just because he does have a better skill set. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I think uh, at least as a kick returner, I'm excited to watch him this year. Yeah, and hopefully and, and they can is, find more spots. That is the one thing. He showed enough where, you know, he had it in that last regular season game. They had him be the main guy in, in the uh, in the playoffs, and you saw him return one for 41 yards the other night. He will get touches in that role for sure. And, you know, if he, again, again, if he makes something happen there, it may open their eyes and say, Damn, we got to get this guy five to eight touches a game somehow. How has Hayden Hurst looked in training camp? Because you mentioned Thaddeus Moss. He was, uh, yeah. put it nicely, a disaster yeah. in the first preseason game. Mitchell Wilcox isn't doing a whole lot for anybody. I believe he's injured well, he's right hurt. now. Yeah, he's hurt. Yeah. He, but he, I mean, he, 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 even if he's healthy, I mean, I, I don't think it's going to make much of a difference. Um, you know what I think of Drew Sample. So I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't see a lot of talent at that position, and we haven't seen Hayden Hurst yet from a fan perspective. What's no, he in training camp? He's been great in camp. He's caught everything thrown his way. He's made a couple of really tough catches. Uh, Joe was asked about him yesterday, and 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 I'm not sure I would I, I would completely agree with his assessment, but he said he's got a little wiggle to him. Um, you know, I think he's a better receiving tight end than, than C.J. Uzama, honestly, by a mile. Well, and he's faster too. That is the right. one thing I do remember seeing him. The dude can run for a for a big white guy. That's for sure. Yeah, no, he, he's. I mean, he was a first round draft pick. All right. Anything else to look forward to uh, for Sunday's preseason games, Kenny? Nah, kind of the the same things. You know, can Kwame Lasseter do something in the return game? Can he and Kendrick Pryor, you know, continue to push for a roster spot? I still think it's an uphill battle for both. And obviously, the punter battle is still a real thing. Drew Christman is just hammering punts in practice right now. Um, they kind of were at a draw the other night, but that younger leg starts to really show up in some of those camp practices. Well, and low key, I do think it was big for McPherson to hit those two long field goals with Chrisman with, holding one of them with Chrisman holding. Yeah, with the different groups snapping yep. and holding for him because it's like, see, it it's not impacting him at all. He's fine. So you kind of just free to look at it from a standpoint of what's going to help you most from a punting perspective and from a snapping perspective, it's not, yeah. it's not really impacting McPherson. It wouldn't seem. Yeah. And I, you know, it's just a younger leg. I think if worse came to worse, you know, Kevin um, sits by the phone that if Drew Christman somehow is a disaster when games matter that you can always call him and Kevin's ready to roll for you. All right. You've probably seen this already, so we don't need the whole backstory, but essentially John Calipari was telling the media in the Bahamas about how much he needed a new practice facility to keep up. While doing so, he made the comment that Kentucky is a basketball school, saying, quote, 
No disrespect to our football team. I hope they win 10 games and go to bowls, but this is a basketball school. Mark Stoops then fired back on Twitter. And then in a surprising move, Mitch Barnhart spoke on Saturday, admonishing them both for not playing nicely and basically told them both or no one specific, but Cal that he gets plenty of support. And if he's not happy with it, there's the door. Skinny, what were your thoughts as you watched this battle unfold between the UK basketball and football coach? Well, and then Mitch Barnhart also blamed the media, which it was not the media's fault. The coaches went back and forth on Twitter for goodness sakes. Yeah. I I mean, mean, that's just absurdly dumb. Correct. Correct. I, I think this is completely Cal wanting a facilities upgrade. And I fully understand that. Why wouldn't you want a facilities upgrade? Right? Yeah. But do you have an issue with the way you went about it? Um, No, because if you really listen to the context of his quote, he had praise for the football program. He said he's rooting for the football program. He mentioned it makes his job easier when the football program's good. Um, but you can take, and I'm going to guess that this has gone to deaf ears behind closed doors. Listen, you know me, I'm not a Cal fan, right? Right. But I get where he's coming from on this. Um, I think the story that Kyle Tucker, the athletic road, talked about how he was standing in the Joe Craft Center when it rained and it was leaking. I mean, that can't happen at Kentucky. And, he, and right or wrong, I don't think Kentucky, I think Kentucky football has is, 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 is gained a great, passionate fan base. I'm a Kentucky football fan, as you know, more than basketball as, as a graduate. I love football more than their basketball program. But Kentucky is one of the handful of blue blood basketball schools. So technically, it is a basketball school. Um, He probably shouldn't have said it that way, but he wants facility upgrades. And I'm going to guess that behind closed doors, he's been told, nope, nope, nope. And he finally said, to hell with this. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to take my shoe, pound it on the gavel and hopefully get what I want. He didn't. But I I understand where he's coming from. And God love Stoops. I get where he's coming from, too. Don't take shots at me, which I didn't think he did. Well, it was. Here's the thing, though. Couldn't like if Cal just leaves it at Kentucky as a basketball school, it's something he said before. It's something that's been said constantly. It's something that no one's going to argue with because, like you said, it's they're a blue blood. But when you add in that jab about win 10 games and go to bowls, it, it makes it feel like you are taking a shot at, at Stoops and, and what they've quote unquote accomplished. Oh, I didn't think that at all. I think he said I'm rooting for them to win 10 games and go to bowls, which is what they've done of late. Uh, I mean, he said, I hope they win 10 games and go to bowls, but this is a basketball school. I think that very much says like, okay, everyone's getting on us because we're not winning championships over here. But what's this, what's this uh, 10 wins that you schedule in yourself and you go play in some Chick-fil-A bowl or whatever, that doesn't really mean anything. I I think it was more of that. I I totally thought that was a shot. Okay, I, I read it. I read it the other way, so it's funny. But you know, well, and I would I would ask Mark Stoops or anybody else in this argument: um, go to Columbus, Ohio; go to Chicago, Illinois; go to Dallas, Texas; go to L.A. and ask somebody: when you think of the University of Kentucky, what sport do you think of? What well, do you think will come to mind? And that's the thing: I, no one's going to argue that, and I don't think Stoops has ever argued that in the past. Like this has been said before by Cal. It's not the first time he said it's a basketball school, and Stoops has never jumped up and said anything. I feel like Stoops is pretty comfortable and fully understands his spot and his yes. place at Kentucky. I don't think he's Agreed. ever made waves about that, Agreed. but I, I think he took this exception to this when Cal made that extra little comment about go win your 10 games and, and play in a bowl game of like, Oh, hold, hold on, man. Like what, what is this about? But I, I'd also say that to me, it feels like Cal has lost his touch 
a little bit. I, I've always thought he was a really good public speaker. And part of what he does is this, you know, he goes to the media and he does his bidding through the media when he wants things. And, and that's all well and good. I understand that game, but I don't know. Maybe it's just not knowing when to pull his stunts, but I feel like this made him look really unlikable. Like you're coming off. Your fans haven't seen you win a postseason game in four years. Well, that's, the, that's the one thing he, you know, he had a lot of leverage for a long time, right? Yeah, um, first first six years were unbelievable. Yes. The last seven years have been uh, not up to UK standard, I would say. No, and that's fair. I mean, the cachet is quickly now gone. It's it's literally what have you done for me lately? And what have you done for me lately is losing to St. Peter's in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and the year before that, you had your disastrous shortened season. Yep. And then the year before that, you had a, a good team that I think was coming together at the end of the year, and then it gets taken away because of COVID, so you don't get a postseason. And that that's not their fault, but... I mean, you're still talking about three years in a row without a postseason win for UK fans. I don't, you know, Cal's coming off that contract he got where he's getting paid like almost nine million a year. I don't know that this is the right time for him to be doing this whole give me a a upgraded practice facility or else I can't possibly compete at this level. And by the way, let me take shots at the football program while I'm at it. It's just like, where are you coming from with this? Like, could, couldn't you just shut up and hopefully you win this year and then you can start talking about well, that again? And, and then he did walk it back, obviously, because I, I think he did. I don't know if he felt remorse. He obviously felt the PR spin was getting away from him because a lot of Kentucky fans, I think, took up for Mark Stoops in this argument for sure. Yeah, I, I'll say this. I I think it was a bad look for Cal. I don't think it's a, a big deal overall for football or basketball or Kentucky in general. It's just, I mean, maybe slightly embarrassing for some, but to see the arguing back and forth. But uh, I think overall, this was kind of a good thing for UK football just because maybe. people are actually talking about them nationally. Right. right. No, now, granted, it's everyone's talking about how UK is a basketball school while they're doing it. So that may not be great from a recruiting perspective. But hey, I mean, just being ranked in the top 25 poll to start the season. Probably first time not since, a, yeah. First time since 1978. Right. But that's still probably not enough to get them on ESPN right now during this time of year. And this past week, they've been all over. So uh, a lot of people have been talking about the good things that Mark Stoops has done and what he's accomplished. So I do think the football program has gotten some positive publicity out of this that they otherwise probably wouldn't have gotten. Yeah. And the bottom line is it doesn't sound like Cal's going to get his way anyway. No, it it, (laughs) it doesn't sound like it. Not for, I mean, I do think Mitch Barnhart's kind of point about, look, you get plenty of support. And I think part of that, is factoring in the nice contract that they gave him. Well, my God, they gave him the nice contract with the impossible buyout. Or honestly, I would be on the verge of saying fire the son of a gun after last year. Right, exactly. So I think I think Mitch Barnhart's coming at it from a perspective of this isn't the time to be throwing around your weight and acting like you have leverage, pal. And he's absolutely right about that. I mean, it just feels like weird timing for Cal to be doing this. I get everyone's always in an arms race to have the newest, latest, and greatest for recruiting purposes. But, I mean, he's got... Probably he's going to have the number one recruiting class in 2023. So it's not like it's holding him back a whole lot. Why don't you just wait, win this year, hopefully, with what looks to be a, a very talented really team. team? Yeah. yeah and right. then you come back next year and you ask for it. And, and everyone goes, Yeah, you know what? Cal's earned that. I mean, it just, it's bizarre. Um, one other thing I wanted to ask you about is this, of course, brought up the whole conversation of basketball school versus football school. And you saw some people talking about, Oh, yeah, this is, this is a basketball school. This is a basketball school. I think there's a few, you know, the blue bloods are obvious. You got Kentucky, North Carolina, Duke, and Kansas are all basketball schools. 
I think you throw Indiana there without a doubt. I mean, there's no question they're a basketball school over football. What other schools from the major conferences would you say are basketball first schools? I mean, it's hard to argue. I mean, you don't come to mind with them, but they have won more national championships than anybody. UCLA has to be in that conversation for that. Agreed. Yeah, I think I think you see. I mean, I think UCLA is a definite too, in my opinion. And it's funny, you know, we we think of them in terms of just what John Wooden did, right? But you know, you had Larry Brown won uh, went to a national championship game when they lost to Louisville in 1980. Ben Howland went to three three straight Final Fours. Mick went to a final. I mean, it, it's not like it. Their their success ended when John Wooden retired in 1975. They've it's it's not the dynasty that John Wooden had, but UCLA's had a lot of success in the last you know, 40 or so years as well. Well, and especially compare that to the football program where right, there's right. nothing like that to speak of. So um, Syracuse is a definite, I would say. Yes. yes. Um, um, trying to think who else would just pop in my head as a, as a basketball school. That Maryland? Has no, because they, no. Really? You don't think Maryland's basketball school? Yeah, the they're more basketball. They're more, they're, they're more basketball than football, but I don't think of, of them as an anything school. I just, you know. Well, I guess you do get into that where some of them are just school like, well, like Purdue, for instance, are they just an engineering school? You don't count yeah, either way. Correct. <laughs> Cause I would, I think I would go Purdue's basketball over football. Um, I, yeah, I don't know if you, the, the you, if you want to go over the years and you need to go back to the sixties through Purdue probably had more success in football than basketball. Really? Go back to the go back to the Bob Greasy Mike Phipps days. They had some pretty good talent in the nineteen sixties. Oh, they've put out some NFL players too. I mean, I, Jim Everett, uh, Rod Woodson. Well, even more recently too, Drew Brees and yeah, right, right. Uh, I mean, Joe. Hey, look, Joe Tiller had a lot of success at Purdue. Yeah, I get. I okay. I, I can be swayed on that one. Uh, what do you think about Louisville? I would say basketball school. I would say basketball school. Um, yeah, I'd say basketball school. Yeah. Um, Virginia. Again, they're kind of in the lacrosse school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, I was I, I actually did a radio hit in Lexington on Monday, and the and the host a, actually asked me, "So, where do you weigh in on this? Kentucky's a basketball school versus a football school?" And I said, "Well, if you want to be truthful, what's had the most success here of late? I'd say it's either a volleyball or a rifle school, one or the other." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the, the, I mean, I think that to me, the big thing about it is, what do your fans care about? Right. And I mean, you know, obviously, UK, well, it's not so, so, doubt, here's, but, so here's my here's my question. Then locally, what would you consider Cincinnati? Tell you what. Basketball school for sure. But over the last decade, I mean, the, the it started with the Brian Kelly stuff. Obviously, you started right. getting a role into where you actually had legit fan support. I feel like the the levels Luke Fickle has taken this thing to recently I mean, that that gap has been closed significantly. Now, yes. I think you still have a recency bias there. If you go old time, it's no doubt basketball still. Correct. I mean, you go back to Oscar and then in the national championships after that. And um, I don't know where they sit all time in wins, but they're at least top 20. Hell, they might even be top 10 all time in wins. And plus the hug and jeers. Yeah, clearly a basketball school overall. But of late, of recency bias, that's flipped down its head a little bit. Yeah. And I, I mean, to your point about like, what do the fans care about? I tell you what, there's more buzz right now for sure about the football program than there is about basketball. And that's the result of, you know, what's gone on the last right. few years with the basketball team, obviously. But man, I, that's a, that's a good question. I would still say basketball overall, but it it's more of a question than it's ever been without a doubt. Yeah. What would you say about NC State basketball? I'd go again, meh. 
it, just it, nothing. It, it, well, I mean, your, but you got to be one or the other in this case. What do your fans well, care more about? I would say basketball. I mean, Valvano yeah. won a championship. Norm Sloan won a championship. I mean, they've got a couple of banners there for national championships in football. They ain't got those – or for basketball, rather. They ain't got those for football. Uh, Wake Forest, basketball school? Mm, clearly a basketball school. Um, all right, here's one for you. I think I know the answer to this, and it probably is the right one. What's Florida? Football. Football, okay. without a doubt. I mean, don't get me fair. wrong. They've had that success in basketball with Billy Donovan. I mean, that that's undeniable that they have a big following there, too. But <laughs> in the state of Florida, it football is king. That's probably, yeah, that's probably fair. Most of the SEC is, I would say, really all of the SEC except for Kentucky and Vanderbilt, really. Yeah, maybe Arkansas, maybe. Uh, that's a, I, well, that's a good point. I still think the fans probably care more in Arkansas about football overall. I don't know, man. I've covered a game there when it, against Kentucky, and, and it's a beautiful stadium. I don't think it was a sellout that day, and I've also covered game. I, these are the Nolan Richardson era Arkansas teams where that place was rocking, bro. Well, and that's a huge arena too. Yeah. I mean, they showed uh, NKU played there uh, two years ago, or three right. years ago now, maybe. Yep. Um, and it was it was a beautiful facility, and they had a lot of fans there, even for the NKU game. So, uh, uh, maybe maybe Arkansas is a basketball school. I think those are, those are the only other two in the SEC that I would even put in the conversation. Um, here's here's an interesting one. What about Illinois? Um, I would go basketball by far they do have some tradition in football but no i'd go basketball by a mile yeah i agree and then there's only one in the pac 12 that i can really think of arizona uh yes yes clearly basketball yeah but i think that's it out west right or in terms Uh, of pac 12 utah i don't know their football program has been really good of late I probably, again, got recency bias there. That's some of this, too, when we're kind of in that middle gray area. with, the, You know, for me, I think it's 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 the Blue Bloods or bust when you're talking basketball school or football school. I, I get that to a certain extent. But, I mean, if, we're, if you're just going by each individual school, do you look at them as a basketball school or a football school? What are they more known for? What do their fans care more about? I mean, I think there's still an answer there. How about Even Baylor? I think they're in Texas, man. I think they've still got to be a football school, right? I I understand that they've been really good sure. in basketball, but <laughs> it's a good one though. It's it is a good one. I thought about that one a little bit, but just being in the state of Texas, I don't think it matters if you're even good at football. I think you're a football school. That's probably that's probably right. You're probably right. Just because the people care about it so much. I mean, it does. You know, not not saying Baylor fan base is uh, anything crazy, but I imagine if you go person by person in that state, in that fan base, in their alumni, they care more about football than they do basketball. All right, lastly, Thomas Moore. <laughs> oh, uh, women's basketball? There so, you go. Good answer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you did that, that's probably UConn's answer, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, UConn's a basketball school regardless. That yeah, wasn't in doubt either that, way. That, that's a good, that's the a whole good Big point. East is basketball yeah. schools. I can t- yeah, tell you that right call. now. Yeah, yeah that's right. why they that's weren't good. included. That's a good call. Uh, lastly, this wasn't necessarily a topic I had on the list, but I just want to ask you about it while we're on the basketball conversation. Did you see NKU's schedule that came out this week for, for the conference in the Horizon League? I did. I put it up on our website, and um, and I I usually I'm so anal sometimes from my old days of, of laying out a newspaper. I will go through and bold face some things and bullet point some things, 
and kind of clean some stuff up. And as I'm going down the list, I usually put home games in caps. Well, they sent the whole thing in caps, right? Um, so I had to do some of the changes in that. So then I'm looking, and to their credit, they put like these dates versus whatever, which are always home games, and then ats. And I did a double take when the last, as I'm coding this, seven of the last eight games, I go, that can't be right. They, and I hadn't really even read the story at this point. I just copied and pasted it, and I was going to go back and read the story after I did all the graphic stuff to it. And I went, this can't be right. Seven of the last eight on the road? It is right, Rick. And I know you know you know of that. That's the craziest thing I've ever seen. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, not only is it seven of eight on the road, but it NKU plays seven of their last eight on the road. Wright State plays six of their last eight on the road. And the only reason they have that extra home game is because NKU goes up there during that. Well, they're stretch. travel partners, right? Uh, yeah, but I mean, in th- this year uh, you had uh, UIC drop out. So there's kind of like this. Odd oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Game. You're right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you've got the two premier programs in your conference, the two teams that have basically won everything and been in the, the conversation every single year since NKU joined the conference. You've got, you're screwing both of them at the end of the year. That makes absolutely no sense, especially when you've gone through all this trouble in recent years to try to make sure that your best teams have the best chance to make it to the NCAA tournament. And now you're doing this to your two premier programs. That, that makes absolutely no sense. And not only do they do that, but, if you're going to do something that mid-major, at least explain why. At least right. just admit it like, hey, right. we've got a, a arena conflict with three or four of these schools that are, that are elsewhere that don't necessarily own their arena or whatever. If if you have an explanation with it, it's like, I'm not going to like it, but at least I can be like, oh, okay, I, I get it. This just looks like you have no idea what you're doing at all. So, I mean, maybe we can clarify that Horizon League office at some point. I'm probably going to get blowback from someone at NKU for talking like this since I... I do the games on radio, but I mean, it's just crazy. I've never seen anything well, like it. I'll, I'll talk like that for you. It's the most asinine thing I've ever seen. <laughs> it, I mean, it really truly is. I, it, it is literally almost like you're setting these teams up to try to fail. Who comes to this conclusion and is like, okay, that'll work. That, that's fine. Yeah. Either that or when they're just doing the schedules, like, okay, we got to have these teams. Uh, yeah. Um, we're not going to mix and match. We'll just, this is, unfortunately we've kind of, we've done this, we've backloaded that and too bad for those teams. They're just going to have to deal with it. It, I I literally when I did that yesterday I literally had to do a double take and go this can't be right and then I did get to reading um, a quote from Darren Horn who didn't sound very happy with it at all and understandably so as well. I just it's like you know they do all the the talk about student athletes and everything and then it's like oh go ahead and play uh, three straight weeks on the road and you got five road games in a matter of eight or nine days at one point. I mean, it's just like, what are, what are we doing here? Honestly, I don't, I don't, I honestly don't get it. And uh, you're right. There's no explanation to it. And I think that's where Darren, Darren Horn says, he said, I think the league will be improving top to bottom. He said, but I just feel bad for our fans, especially our students that our home game with Wright state is the week after Christmas, which is the 29th. And as the league race heats up in February, we will finish with seven of our last eight games on the road. That just, it, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and they, they screw up that NKU Wright State game, that rivalry game, every year at NKU. They never get it on the weekends, and even, you know, in this case, they've got it during Christmas break when no students are going to be on campus. So it's like, fortunately, NKU is a commuter school, and, you know, you, you'll still have some people there, but it's uh, it just, yeah, not not a great job by the league office there of putting terrible. the schedule together. You don't have to say this because uh, terrible job by the league office. Embarrassingly bad. <laughs> Thank you. All right, so Ask Any Anything. This will be a quick version here. Uh, Dan says, rank the following mascot hijinks, and if Skinny had to do one, what would he do? You've got the leprechaun or duck doing push-ups. 
running onto the field with a large wild animal like a longhorn or buffalo. The brewers slide into a giant beer mug. The Phoenix gorilla repel from the roof. Or the sausage president race in Washington and, and yeah, Milwaukee. The, the, yeah, the sausage president race, I'm going to rank last on that list. It, it, it's it, th- That one doesn't do much for me. Yeah, it's, it's um, If you're going to do the race, you got to do like the fat flash guy they've done where you start. Oh, like, I love that one. That, I, that one's fabulous to me. Yeah, you start like halfway. Normal yes. person starts halfway through the outfield and then they bring on a fat guy who uh, just blows them away from yeah. the full distance. Yeah, no, I, I I love that one. Gorilla's number one for me. That is a boss-ass move. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't do it. I I didn't ask that part of the question. I wouldn't do that one, but that is a boss move, man. It is. Yeah, I agree with that. That's my favorite. Um, all right, so I got running on the field. With large wild animal, which is always, you know, that that I wouldn't want to do that either because it adds in some uncertainty to the whole situation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just I just saw a story where a buffalo knocked a girl like 15 feet up in the air and she's lost the use of her left leg. I don't, even though I've got him by the chain, I can't control that damn buffalo. Yeah. I don't care if he's trained or not. It's a wild animal. He might have a cute name like Ralphie, like he does, but I don't want any part of that buffalo. No, No. thank you. Um, So what else do we have on the list again? Oh, the Uh, push-ups? The push-ups and the slide into the giant beer mug. I'll go slide number two, push-ups number four. Push-ups have become pretty cliche. Just about every team has its mascot doing those push-ups. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um. This is from a buddy of yours or someone you know, at least, which I asked you beforehand. Otherwise, I would have been like, oh, this question is a little bit much. But uh, Ken says, I had a dream that Rich, do, do people call you Rich that you're like friends with? Some some people do, yes. Okay. Some people, call, some people call me other names that we can't use on this podcast. Yeah, I've never heard anyone call you Rich before. Yeah. Uh, I had a dream that Rich was in the final group of the U.S. Open on Sunday, but could not play because he had to dog sit Rhett. Question, uh-huh. would you give up the U.S. Open for both daughters or just your favorite? Uh, I'd give it up for for Red is my daughter's uh, year and a half old Shih Tzu. I'd give it up for for him and and my my Shih Tzu. Yes, I would give up the U.S. Open final round as much as that would pain me to dog sit. <laughs> All right. I literally my my son in law went went to FC Cincinnati's game on Saturday. I had to go do a football scrimmage game, a high school scrimmage game, and he said he said, "Would you mind coming and getting watching him for a little bit after after your game's over?" I said. How about if I just take him and he spends the night? He's like, ah, oh, I said, I said, man, it's kind of the deal. So I got got a I got a night with my guy. He's my dude. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Dog sitting. If uh we've done questions like this before, but I don't know if it's ever been Cincinnati specific. If you could have dinner with three Cincinnati sports legends, who would you pick? I, he was so hard to like, but I'd still in a setting like that, Oscar's a fascinating guy. Oscar Robertson, fascinating guy. Um, I'd put, I'd put Oscar on the list. Um, man, it's a good one. Oh, hugs is a good time. Yeah. Hugs. I mean, if you want to go out and have have dinner and drink, hugs will drink with you. You may not drink with him per se, but he'll yeah, drink. Well, with you'll you. be driving him home at the end of the night, or I've, at least I've find actually, a way for you to get I've, home. I've but. actually drank with him and it's, it doesn't end well a lot of times. I mean, yeah, no. So hugs is on that list as goofy as it sounds. Now, who else would be on that list? Honestly, I'm having a hard time with it. Maybe, maybe Paul Brown. Oh, that would be a good one. Yeah, I, I, I've, I, I wouldn't want Pete. I've actually been in a setting with Pete numerous times. Johnny Bench would talk about himself all night, which would be boring. Um, I like Ken Anderson. I could Ken Anderson would be fine. 
but I've had beers with Ken Anderson. So yeah, you've um, already done that before. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I, I'd ha- I'd have to have Ocho. I mean that. Yeah, I know he's, he's your guy. Time. He's not he's not quite my guy. I, oh, speaking of that though, Rick, um, Adam Jones, Pac Man Jones has been in the locker room a couple of times. He came in the other day. Garbage. And Garbage. It was well. It's funny you say that. So it was me, one of the one of the media relations people. Uh, Paul Daner, Jay Morrison, and uh, Jeff Hobson. And we were standing there just shooting the crap with with, with Pac-Man. And all of a sudden, Paul brought that story up, and he he relived the whole scene for us. It was great. Oh, man. I would actually pay dollars fabulous. to be there for oh, that. Oh, it was great. The it live reenactment. And he's just laughing. He's, he goes, he goes, I remember, he goes, I, he goes, it just, it just came out of me, man. He goes, he goes, that guy was talking nothing but smack. And I just had to do something to put him in his place. He was great. Oh, that's fantastic. Garbage. Garbage. You in there? Terrell, you in there? <laughs> I have to bring back the garbage drop with a yep, few exactly. years since we used that one. Exactly. All right. Uh, how many raw eggs could you drink if you got $500 for each one? Oof. I mean, how, I, have you had a raw egg before? I've never done this. Is I, it that I bad? Have, I, have, I have not. On one of those AMC network things, they've been playing Rocky quite a lot lately. And there's a scene, famous scene in there where Rocky, while he's training, uh, drinks a, a glass of, I think, six or eight raw eggs. I can't remember the amount of it. And he, I think Sylvester Stallone actually did that. Um, and it's gross to watch. But he downs it like you know, like you're down in a glass of milk after eating five cookies or whatever. He just it was it, it's a it's a hell of a scene to be honest with you. For five hundred bucks each, I mean, I'm getting two grand easily. Yeah, Guaranteed. I was gonna say I I I think I would I would try to force four down. Yeah, I, I don't, don't even think, think that's a question. Like I think I, I automatically think it, get I, four. I don't think it would be as easy as you think. Well, I, I'm I'm factoring that in. I'm thinking it must be harder than I'm thinking in my mind. So I'm not gonna say ten. But I think four is like a no doubt. You could just slam them before you even know it's really happening. Yeah, because it's I mean, I, like liquidy. I, could, I mean, they are liquidy, but I, there's something about it. I don't know if the taste would be what you're thinking it would be. The the taste wouldn't be good. But again, the first four, it's like before you even taste it, it's already in and you're shooting well, it down the hatch. And that's kind of how he how he guns that down in the in the in the in the scene in the movie. Like he guns it down so fast. It's like, did you even taste it? Yeah, I'm getting an I, easy two grand. I think. This I feels think like, I could do six to eight. This feels like we're getting set up for a challenge on this, which I, I would fully accept if this person's willing to pay 500 bucks for each egg. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, I know uh, the the based on the person who asked it, I don't think he has $500 to give us per egg, or, or at okay. least he'd be willing to. I, I shouldn't speak to his finances, but I don't think he's offering to pay us. Yeah. Uh, but if anyone else would, I would gladly try to figure this out. Because I think in terms of like, I can eat a hard-boiled egg in like two chumps, right? So now I'm putting it in liquid form. Yeah, I, I think I, anything over four would be a stretch for me, and four might even be a stretch, to be honest. Uh, I, I mean, fair enough. I, I think four is automatic. I don't think there's any doubt I'm getting in four before I even realize what's really going on. Now, have you ever mixed raw egg into a milkshake? No. My mom used to do that for me when, I'd be, when I was sick as a kid. What? When you were sick, she'd get, try to give you salmonella? <laughs> In a milkshake. When I was sick, that was that was kind of the the the, the meal of choice. It, d- raw eggs settle your stomach or something. What's the logic know. behind that? It worked. I'm still alive today. Eggs for stomach upset. If you have an upset stomach, you may or may not consume eggs depending on your symptoms. If you have diarrhea, consuming eggs may provide relief. You may consume scrambled or boiled eggs that may slow bowel movements and provide relief from frequent trips. That says nothing about. Raw eggs. I don't I'm think that's telling you. I, I, 
I think your mom was trying to kill you. Maybe she was. Maybe you were a real pain in the ass. No, I was actually a good kid. That was the funny part. I only became a pain in the ass when I became an adult. (laughs) (laughs) We've got that. We've both got that going for us, I guess. Exactly. Exactly. All right. That's all I got. All right. Appreciate the questions as always. Uh, Getting closer and closer. In fact, we may have a college football betting segment. There are a handful of games on the docket next weekend, Rick. Yeah, we'll have to do something for that. I'm ready. None none of local interest, but, you know, it is college football and it's upon us, and and here we are. Maybe Uh, we'll we'll change how we do the pick them this year. Yes, yes, exactly. More uh, more Bengals training camp conversation. Uh, when we do this podcast next week. They'll have had one practice with the Rams under their belt, so looking forward to that. And after that, regular season is upon us as well. Appreciate you for listening. Thanks for sending the questions. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly potpourri edition presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending. 